The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to, uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 343. have a special guest tonight, first time guest on the show, much too long since he's been on the show. I've been on his show twice. It's about darn time um, he comes on this show, and that's all my fault. But uh, you can check out all his great work at Triple Play Fantasy. He's on Twitter at Art underscore T underscore Z, and his name goes by Art Tornabini. Little Cheesecake. How we doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. Can't wait to have you guys back on. Have you back on uh, Triple Play? I think it's going to be soon. Yes, there's a there's a rumor that myself and Toby might be coming on soon because you know I don't you know I'm, I'm a humble winner, of course, and um, I think <laughs> I think I, I think I made a few comments that uh, since Toby lost his last one and you know you guys haven't been able to beat me, that I think there was uh, something about me trying to get my third dub. You got to bring in some more ammo or something. I don't know. There's something along mean, those lines. 
I mean, I wish I was, I wish I was coming up with the game for that episode because it would be a doozy, but uh, I'm going to actually compete against you guys. Cause we need to put our best on the field. I think <laughs> so. So for fun, then which one of the three is the worst to make them do the questions. <laughs> Eric, Eric throws me, David did a game. This last game doing walk up music. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I, I got none of them. Right. I lost miserably for the walk up music game. But, uh, but uh, you know, when, when you get some games where we're doing, like, fantasy baseball knowledge, I think I do pretty well compared yes. to the other two. I do all right. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, you know, give give David Eric maybe more of the uh, pop culture references and stuff like that. But when we're talking fantasy baseball, we'll talk to Art here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, before we get started, before we get started and everything, mention Triple Play. You write for SP Streamer. Let everybody know what you got going on, where they can reach you. You guys got rebranded over at Triple Play. So you guys are just busy. Yeah, well, we got it. We got a new logo. Uh, I think we're going to be putting out some new merch with that logo. I'm writing for SP Streamer this year. I'm writing uh, this this summer. I'll be writing a catcher streaming article and also a late uh, a speed steel streaming article as well for for SP Streamer this summer. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I've been put out a catcher article recently, and I'll be putting out some more articles until the season starts on SP Streamer, trying to get uh, trying to get some good tweets out. I mean. My Twitter game has to step up, but you know I'll, I'll work on that. Now you you seriously are like one of the nicer Twitter people out there, and that says a lot because Twitter can be I call it the cesspool, but it's a cesspool that I swim in too much. And um, you're just always supporting everybody and, and saying nice things, so that part's great. But uh, you, you'll get the hang of it once once you get rolling. It's 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 a fine line that I go way over the top one. So just uh, be careful with what you got going. But I'm looking forward to. Catching streaming is interesting. I love the concept of steel streaming. That's a that's going to be really interesting um, coming up there. So looking forward to it. Yeah, it was a challenge that uh, that Michael put uh, put for me, and I said I'd take it. Uh, I don't know what my track, how I'm going to do. I'm going to track how I do on my picks, but I, you know, I think the catcher streaming. I'm I'm really I'm really stoked about that one because I think that uh, people don't don't put enough value on catching. I think mm-hmm. you could actually if you if you pay close attention. You could actually stream a pretty good catcher over the course of a season. No, no doubt about it. It it's almost I'm not gonna say it's completely like, but obviously you triple play fantasy, you guys cover basketball, football, and baseball. The catcher's position to me, I could be wrong. Does it feel more like the defense or the kicker? It's gotta be like one of them where it's you can draft like so I'll say defense, because you could draft one of the big guys if you want, and you can roll with them. You're never drafting a big kicker usually. But you could draft right. one of the big, big, you know, defenses, but then after that you can just stream them like you're saying. So does that sound about right? Yeah. You just play in the matchups. I mean, in the way that catchers are used nowadays, almost nobody's getting full-time plate appearances anyways. So week to week, there's going to be different guys getting that ABs and, uh, and you know, there's going to be some good matchups and I can't wait to see. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can get a league, like a league average player throughout the season on it. No, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, A little bit later on, we're going to talk about, Art's recent article at SP Streamer, some later round catching targets, because there's a couple names in there that on, on my show and some other shows I really haven't heard mentioned much. Uh, if you're doing super deep leagues right now, they're, they're good ones to keep uh, in the back of your mind come draft season. But before we get up to that, we're going to talk about some recent news with the fantasy impacts of them, and they're in no particular order. Some of the bigger news is probably a little farther down. Just when I go through things, I just write them down and go. I don't reorder them. So we're going to start with the Mets. They signed Taiwan Walker, and it's an interesting move, two-year deal, so they're kind of uh, committed to him. We saw the the velo increase and whatnot at times last year, but it makes that uh, that that uh, 
rotation pretty deep now. So what's your your thoughts on Walker in uh, New York and the fantasy relevance of that? Well, I, I've been a fan of Walker since he was a prospect coming up uh, Seattle and, and Arizona. He's put together good 160, 150 inning seasons before. And he was he missed most of the of 18 and 19 for TJ. But I think that he came back and showed that his arm was healthy. And that was pretty much what you wanted to see from him last year. The fact that his ERA was good and he was outperforming his peripherals. You know, that you know, take that for what it is. I, I, I know he's been working for with driveline. He's been working to improve his uh his pitch offerings. He's he's offering a slider now. And uh, and his split change is his best pitch, and that's uh, and that's he's working on improving that. So I I like him. I think he's going at a real nice spot. I think he's going around pick 300, 315 now for a guy who might give you 150, 160 innings in a nice park in a nice team context. I I really like Walker actually. Yeah, he's going to be fun. Um, I'm curious to see what keeps changing. I, I I pulled up NFBC ADP for onlines since February 1st, mm-hmm. and there's been 12 drafts completed. He's gone as low as 324, as high as 242. So he's starting to starting to move now that he has a job. So I'm curious to see where that lands. Um, I'd imagine he goes to about 230-ish maybe, give or take, yeah. which makes things interesting because if I'm just scrolling through the ADPs here, when you get to starting pitchers around 230, you have James Paxton. Would you rather yeah. Paxton or, or Walker? Uh, I think Walker, because I'm scared about Paxton's injury yep. history. What about Jordan Montgomery? I'm going Jormont over, yeah. over Walker. Yeah. The last one I'll go with here, because this guy I love, but I understand all the trepidation and concerns, Nate Eovaldi. I'm going oh, – that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh I think I'm going Walker j- just just because I do have some concerns about Eovaldi, uh his his volume. I, he doesn't pitch a ton of innings. No. So I, I think Walker will probably out-volume him this year. Yeah, that's the thing about Eovaldi. Like when he pitches, more, more often than not, they're good innings. Like mm-hmm. he's throwing strikeouts. He's doing like you look at the ratios at the end of the year. Things are groovy. Problem is, is he never pitches a full season ever. Right. So right. it's like – you know, it was fun when you're taking him around pick like 350 or something as a late round. Then just kind of, I, I remember, I think it was last year's TGFBI or the year before. My very last pick was Uvalde. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stash him and just use him whenever. But uh, you can't really do that now. You have to make a decision right. if they want to play that game all year. Um, the other question I'm going to ask about Walker coming here. So the Mets now have DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, Peterson. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to imagine the first four locked in. But then you got Peterson there. And then there's kind of a mix of other possible starters. Uh, eventually, Syndergaard will come back, but that's another story for another day. But when you look at the uh, the, the potential starters for the Mets, you have Lucchese. You'd imagine bullpen gets Selman. They got Jordan Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still a believer at Peterson's the guy, or are you just like concerned? I'm just not going to draft Peterson now. I mean, I haven't been drafting Peterson, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think he's the guy for now. Um, I don't know what they're doing. And Seth Lugo just went down, if I'm not yep. mistaken, yep. right? So he was a guy who I was hoping might get a chance for that, for a starting spot for them this year, actually. But uh, without Lugo, I think Peter's in the guy until until uh, Thor comes back. But I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from him, actually. Yeah, so Peterson's a tough away. one. Yeah, Peterson's a tough one. I've been like, depending on what best ball or draft and hole I'm in, he kind of falls every once in a while. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to get any of this before the Walker deal. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of more confident in it, but now it's a little more sketch. So I'm not as gung-ho about it as you were saying. 
Um, we mentioned James Paxton a second ago where his ADP is going. He's gone as high as 195 over that period of time. So there's a little bit of helium coming with the Big Maple. But the Big Maple is returning to Seattle where he kind of got the whole thing going with the Mariners. And you mentioned some concerns with him. What's your thoughts on uh, James Paxton this season? Well, I like that Seattle's going into the season looking at a six-man rotation. That would work out to about 27 starts per season, five less starts than a five-man rotation. But his best seasons were 28 starts and 29 starts. So 27 is kind of going into the season, aiming for his best level of, of starts. So I like that in his favor. Um, and and I, I think conceptually doing that will save his arm a little bit. Uh, I'm not I'm not guessing that that it will. I'm not going to predict that it will. But I think conceptually coming in, this is where I would be confident in that type of situation for him. Six starters, giving him an extra off day in between each start, conserving that arm just a little bit because he's been he's been pretty close to elite when he's been healthy. Yeah, it's a good point you make. The six man rotation it scares a lot of people off, but you know, Simeon SP streamer himself a, a few episodes back he broke it down and it made a lot of sense to me is um, if these guys go six-man rotations, okay, that extra day's rest maybe allows them when they do pitch to go another inning or two, or mm-hmm. they're, they're, maybe their six innings are more productive because they're, they're like stronger. Like it's it's going to be a, you know different strokes for different folks, but you'd have to imagine it can't hurt them right? Uh, more than anything. Sure, you mentioned that the starts are going to get reduced and all this and that, but it comes back to the story we used to talk about it with Steven Strasburg, who used to throw like 150 to 160 innings, mm-hmm. and then you kind of play the injury game. You used to thought uh, his whenever he's out there though they're quality quality innings. Yeah, when James Paxton's out there, they're going to be quality innings. Like the ratio is going to be good, strikeouts are going to be good. So I'm getting more intrigued by him. The fact he's there, I, obviously there's injury concerns. Um, would you take him as high as 195, or do, would you rather his 230 ADP? Like, are you willing to go high on him? I think it depends on if I don't feel like I have a high end rotation yet. I think I'd take him a little bit higher if I felt like I had gone pretty safe earlier in my, in my draft. But if I had taken Strasburg, I'm not going to take Paxton or yeah. I, I no longer consider a few, like a few other people uh, as, as risky, but I like him as someone who, who I would, uh, who I would take to try and up the overall ceiling of my rotation. Yeah. He's definitely a risk, like you said, but he brings that just upside. So maybe, one way to look at it when we we'll talk TGFBI a little later, and that's got an overall component. Maybe he's great for that because he's yeah. got that ceiling to take you over. But maybe if you're just like in a 12 team league that's got no overall, maybe play a little safer. It's just yeah. like say he goes to pick 195, going to 196 Dallas Keuchel. So it's a good right. example. Do you want the safe Dallas Keuchel or do you want the upside of James Paxton? And lineup construction is going to be huge for that, or your roster construction is going to yeah. be huge for that. All right, let's talk the New York Yankees. They did it. I even asked Kerland when a couple, like earlier this past week, Aaron Boone said, Clint Frazier is our starting left fielder. And Kerland goes, how oh, they're going to screw this up. And I responded, they're going to sign Brett Gardner. And I, I had to do it. The, I told you so, GIF. It just it had to happen. But what's your take on this? Like, Clint Frazier, I was very excited to see have a chance. They bring Gardner in. Are you concerned with Gardner? Because Boone even came out over the weekend and said, it's still Clint Frazier's job. But let's be real. Gardner's going to do something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, as long as Judge is healthy, he likes to play Hicks. (laughs) Yeah. He likes to play Hicks every day. And Hicks is the best center fielder they have, so that makes sense. You got Talkman, Gardner, and Frazier for one spot. Well, when Stanton and Judge are both healthy. 
And that's and that's a lot of mouths to feed in one position. But Frazier was really good when he played last year. So, you know, I think he'll probably get the most amount of that time. But, you know, Boone, they're doing the same thing that the Dodgers and Padres are doing. They they want to get as many bats so they can rotate them around. And it's, you know, it's a it's a good strategy. Those teams are all going to be in the playoffs because they're spending to get these deep, deep teams. But it is going to hurt our fantasy, uh, our fantasy squads. But I, I was loving Frazier. I was hoping that he was going to get 600 plate appearances this year. Yeah, I was a big fan um, of what he did last year. Looking forward to him this year. Like his ADP is 180, which is intriguing because he's going around guys like Gallo, uh, Ian Happ, Nick Solak, Max Kepler. When you're talking outfielders, he just he's got something there. It's just, do you want to take that chance anymore? Because even Let's say 12 picks early of Anthony Santander. Mm-hmm. And some people don't like him, but decent average, some pop. There's lots, to me, a lot of similarities to him and Clint Frazier. I but love Santander, yeah. It's like now with the concern of Frazier, it's almost like you have to take Santander, don't you think? I think so. I think so. Uh, he's coming back. He he was going to have a monster mm-hmm. short sample last season if he had stayed healthy. And I expect him to just continue in that groove. With Frazier, with Gardner coming back, yeah. Boone's going to play Gardner a lot. He loves him. Um, yeah. So what do we look like? 450 plate appearances for Frazier? Yeah, probably. Let me see what uh, the projections have. I have their roster right here. Um, for Frazier right now, yeah, like looking at the bat X, 138 games. He still has him for 598. ATC has him for okay. 530. So even at 530, say, they project him for 23 and seven uh, stolen bases, 252. Not bad, mm-hmm. but probably not what you're hoping for, I guess. Um, like a guy going 14 picks later is Kyle Schwarber. Would you rather Kyle Schwarber or Clint Frazier? Schwarber, I think. Yeah. Well, Frazier's OBP was so good last year, uh, and they batted him fourth a lot of last season when yeah. he played. Oh, man, that's a tough one. But I love – I mean, Schwarber, I think he's such a good hitter. I don't know why he's been – his batting average has been so poor the last few years because his he coming up, he was a guy who could roll out of bed and hit. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm hoping that, that he gets to DH, but I don't think it's happening, but I, I, I think Schwarber's power is going to sell me over Frazier because of the playing time concerns now, but yeah, it's a tough call for me. It is. It is. That's what makes it hard to, to draft Frazier where he's at. Cause you see like these other players available and it's just like, now there's like the elite, and it could be a nothing concern, but it's a concern that should be at least somewhat relevant. And mm-hmm. It makes it interesting. The other, but you, you can play devil's advocate, and I'll at least mention this. And you, you hinted at it, and I've hinted at it. The chances that Stanton and Fra- or, uh, Judge stay healthy enough to make this last, we know something's going to happen. Even Hicks has had problems. And yeah. so it's like, it's the old baseball HQ saying is take skills over role. And it's like, if you believe in Frazier, go for it. But just know that there's, there is concern. There's definitely concern there, and it just kind of sucks. Um, let's go to the Minnesota Twins. They went and picked up J.A. Happ, and this is, to me, a, a move I like because he's just a boring veteran pitcher, nothing too sexy, but he's going to fill in nicely with a team that's always kind of lacking in pitching depth. Uh, they've shored up their defense, which is always big. What do you think about Happ going to Minnesota? He's a guy that I know we can stream from time to time, but is he draftable to you? Yeah, as a back-end stabilizer or your rotation, he's going to throw – he threw 160 innings in 2019 – he made nine starts last season in 2020. Actually, you know, my memory of his 2020 is a lot worse than what he actually produced. He had under yeah. three five ERA. 
in his uh, his xFIP was league average so you know he wasn't even like poor uh xFIP but with a good era he was league average I think Minnesota is a better park context for him and they need him to throw innings so I I, I like him as a late stabilizer his good k k minus walk ratio is gonna gonna continue there yeah no I'm with there it's kind of a it's not a not a flashy pick it's not a must have pick but he seems to do it time and time again. He's just boring. Uh, when you look at his ADP right now, 329. He's going to tie at 259. So since he's signed, he's moving up the ladder. But still, if you just need a kind of a stabilizer, like you said, very, very interesting. Um, let's talk Oakland. They surprised me. I don't know about other people. Maybe you too. But uh, they went and signed Trevor Rosenthal to close. And I was surprised because, A, I didn't think they'd spend the money. I think it was like 11 mil. Mm-hmm. B, I have a lot of Jake Diekman shares. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what's your take on Rosenthal in Oakland and kind of how do you see, you know, people like Deekman, there's Wendelkin, Romo looked like he probably sniped yeah. some. What yeah. are you doing there? I was I was convinced Romo was going to end up with it when when he signed there. Um, I you know, I think they're they're signaling that Rosenthal Rosenthal's a guy, but you know, Deekman's and you're if you're in a saves and hold league, Deekman's a guy you want to hold on to. Um, but I think Rosenthal is going to be getting the the bulk of the save opportunities. They're a team that has gone to one closer uh, at a time. They're not a team that likes to do the closer by committee. So I think it's going to be uh, Rosenthal for the whole season. Yeah, no, it's that's what I'm scared about. I'm with you there. It's a great spot for him because that team's going to be good. And they seem to, you know, you can't predict saves, but they're a team when you watch them, they don't blow a lot of teams out very often. Like they play really good games. They win a lot of games. But uh, it seems like there's always chances for saves there. Like Hendricks, like one of the there's always a top end closer. Say they come out of Oakland. Just they manage their they manage their relief pitchers really well there. Well, that's why they've they've signed so many this offseason. Like if you look at their roster, they they know what they're doing. They limit mm-hmm. their starters, keep them out of trouble. It's very very well done in Oakland. So Rosenthal's gone as high as 117 since he's been draft uh, signed. Where do you kind of put him in the echelon of closers come draft? Like there's Hendricks, there's Hater. Do you have Rosenthal right behind them? Do you have some, like Chapman in front of them? How do you look at them? Uh, I put I put Iglesias above above Chapman actually myself. Right. I love Iglesias, I like Iglesias in, in Los Angeles. Chapman, um, I'm worried about him. He's the type of guy if he loses one or two miles per hour, it's going to make a big difference on his on his game. But I still think he's really solid. Um, you know, I'm having trouble. I'm not 100 percent sure where to put Kirby Yates. Rosenthal last last year, his K percentage was so good that you kind of have to consider him up at that up that upper level, especially going to Oakland, a place that knows how to use closers and gives them a lot of opportunities to put up good seasons as they've done the last three, four se- years. So uh, I hadn't considered taking him that high. I'd been sort of following ADP lately, uh, but yeah, I mean, I he's he's going to he'd go above above hand. He'd oh, go yeah. above, uh, he's above Karinchak for me because Karinchak, I'm not sure if he has the role all season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting now that now that you say that. I'm going to have to rework my relief pitcher rankings, I think. Yeah, I'm in the, I've almost finished redoing my top 100 starting pitchers. The last thing for me to do is relievers. I keep looking. It's on my spreadsheet. I look at it. I'm like, oh, that just looks disgusting. I really don't want to do it. Like I Because I already know it's going to change. It changes so fast uh, these days. But Rosenthal's got to get a bump for me. He's going to get a, a definite bump. Um, the other closer that signed recently, Mark Melanson, signed with the San Diego Padres. And this was one that people had Pomeranz, people thought Pagan. Do you believe Melanson's the guy there? Or do you think there's going to be a committee? How are you going about that? 
I think it's another spot where they like to use one closer at a time. And call me, call me old fashioned. I think Melanson signs to close where he signs. Um, uh, Rob DiPietro was on the pod this week and he brought up the, we, we talked about this. He brought up the possibility of Pomeranz doing like a fireman thing, two inning, maybe 90 innings on the season. You know, even if he doesn't close, if he gets to be like a two inning guy, he could be a top 10 relief pitcher with that K rate. So it's interesting uh, for both of them. Yeah, I'm with you. It's one of those, if you want to get aggressive, Melanson's still going around 264, as high as 166 since he signed. So he's not going as high as Rosenthal, but as murky as the closer situation is, he's definitely climbing the ladder. But I like the Pomeranz comment because he's got that feel, even like last year with the Padres, he was throwing a couple innings here and there, even with uh, Milwaukee after the Giants traded him, he was doing that. He's got that kind of hater feel to him before Hater was a closer. Mm-hmm. That bring him in when it's important, let him get the job done. He's a former starter, so he's not one of those cl- uh, relievers that has to start or finish an inning. He can come in the middle, start another inning after that. It's not going to phase him as much type thing. So I, I like that shout on Pomeranz there. I think he's definitely got more legs than people want to give him credit for. And in reality, we got to think about it. If the Padres win as many games as we think they're going to, yeah, Pomeranz is not saving all of them. Like no. that's just not going to happen. So there are going to be chances. There's, there's going to be some games where there's a heavy stud lefty setup coming in the ninth, and they're going to yeah. go, "Nope, Pomeranz, you're coming in." So wouldn't be shocked. All right, Philadelphia Phillies. I heard my co-host Batflip Crazy's heart shatter when this took place. <laughs> Maybe not as many pieces as JT Ramuto's thumb, but um, yes, uh, there's good news since this happened though. Uh, JT Ramuto broke his non-throwing thumb or. or uh, or no, it's throwing thumb. It's not catching thumb. So keep that in mind. But um, there's already reports that he's throwing the ball and swinging already. So we'll see how that goes. They're, they're expecting to be ready by opening day. Does this change anything for you when you look at JT Romito? I mean, uh, hand injuries always worry me for power. Um, and Real Muto, his his value is not totally based on power, but it is at least partially based on power. Uh, his value, I think... He's going to get the plate appearances, which really, really boost his value. And he's going to have the good batting average and he's going to hit a good spot in the lineup, I think. But if his power uh, steps down a little bit, at least for the first part of the season while his hand is recovering, it, it will actually sap his overall value pretty significantly because it is built on like how much better than the other catchers he is. His, his, his strength is mostly from the fact that he's, he's being compared to other catchers. And, uh, so, so if I, I don't know if you have any knowledge about how thumb injuries affect power, but I always assume that hand injuries do have some power effects. Yeah. Derek Rhodes, uh, who's been on the show, friend of the show, he has his injury tool and he tweeted something out, uh, after the, the real mutual injury that it was like the last like eight guys or so that had some kind of hand injury, like six of the eight guys, OPS is all dropped pretty significantly that season. Uh, they bounced back eventually, but for most of the season, they're pretty shut down. I think it was like Christian Yellick and then one of the kind of fluky one that didn't drop. So pick your poison there. Then the other thing he said is usually this injury, because you can see it from the tool, has an average, so he could be above average, but an average recovery time of 40 days. Okay. So a couple things to think about there. But th- I guess the the other part of the question is, is kind of the gap between Real Muto and Catcher 2 was pretty large. He's still a catcher one, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I'm not taking him. I'm not reaching for him in the 30s. Like I, I've taken Real Muto on about half of my teams, and I, so I'm taking him anywhere between 30 and 50 when he, when he's when he's on the board. Now I'm probably waiting. I'm not going to be reaching for him as much because I do think his power is going to be sapped just a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you, and that's a, a big concern. Let's go to another catcher in the Toronto Blue Jays. Everyone loves themselves some Alejandro Kirk. But there's some news that came out this week. And this is what's fun about this year compared to last year is we actually have news out of spring training. The manager said Kirk could, quote unquote, make the team out of spring training as a backup catcher. What does that do for you come draft time now? Because I've been nervous to draft him to begin with. It has the williams Ostadio feel to it. We all love him. But then we saw what happened. They want Jansen to catch, it looks like. So they want Kirk to probably play in AAA and stay loose. So what are you doing? Why are you doing this, this to us, Toronto? You, you sign all these guys. I thought Kirk was going to be DH in this year, like a month ago. Uh, why are you doing this to us? Now, you, now you're bringing us back. This is, you know, just either let us go or reel us in. Stop teasing us. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think you're right. I think he's going to start in AAA. Uh, Reese McGuire isn't isn't great, but he's a pro backup, and mm-hmm. they don't need Kirk to sit on the bench for you know, four days a week, five days a week, uh, they can put McGuire on the bench and McGuire has been a pretty decent hitter actually. in in the bigs as, as recently as two seasons ago. So I think, you know, at least a month or two months in the minor leagues for, for Kirk. Yeah. And so it makes it very tough to draft him. Very, very tough. He's the 18th catcher off the board. It's, it's tough to do. So yeah, I won't be drafting any Kirk, which stinks, but keep your waiver wires ready. Maybe he'll be streaming at some point by Mr. Art over there. Absolutely. Um, this one was good to hear. I don't know how – I still need to see it to believe it. But I'm a, I've always been a big Eduardo Rodriguez fan, Erod. Last year, obviously, missed the whole season due to COVID. Had some serious complications with COVID. Kind of scary stuff with his heart and everything. But he came out saying he's 100% healthy. And one thing with, with Erod in the past, you knew he was good for innings. He was going to make his starts. Their rotation such a mess. They're just going to have to let him pitch. He said he feels healthy. There's no concerns. I plan on throwing at least 30, at least 30 starts this season. Now, that's his words, not yeah. the coaches. But how much is that? Does that make you feel better to maybe take a chance on him? Because I've been nervous to draft him all draft season. But he's going to pick 220. So what's your thoughts there? You know, I, I'm I'm going to believe him. Uh, you know, he was suffering from some pretty serious myocarditis after, after the uh, COVID-19 diagnosis. But they've documented his, his recovery, his health as it's gone along pretty consistently how he's been, they said he was feeling bad. They were honest about that. And so I, you know, I, I'm going to believe him and I'm actually considering his draft price to be a pretty good bargain uh, with his, with, with what he, you might get from him actually. Um, I'm, I'm picking him. I'm, I'm starting to target him, you know, late, late in the one hundreds. I'm not waiting until 200 for him. Yeah. I'm starting to feel you there because like last year, I was all in on him. I remember he was getting drafted in the grouping of uh, – oh, man, I'm going to blank now. There was like oh, Max Freed, Erod, and a couple other guys. They're all kind of getting drafted around the same point. And um, obviously, we know how that turned out. But seeing where he's going now, we're getting quite the discount at the moment. He's going right, right around uh, Michael Pineda. It's like, give me Erod if, he's, if he is good to go. Like, I'll yeah, take that absolutely. chance. Obviously, Pineda pitches in a better division, but we know what Erod can do when he's on. Like, give me, give me that. So, I, I'm with you. I'm – I, when, I, when I updated my uh, starting pitching rankings, he got quite a big boost because I was so nervous beforehand. 
getting getting quite the boost. I forget exactly where now, but he's like, I still have him around like the 60s, I think. But it's like if I saw one or two good starts with the Velos popping, he's moving way up again. Like I just – I need to see a little more, but I'm much more inclined to take him where he's at, like you said, which is good. What about Paxton versus uh, Erod? Oh, man. Talk about that. I'm going to go Erod just because his injury, as bad as it is, has nothing to do with his arm or his shoulder. Right. Right, Paxton. We've that. seen we've seen Paxton perennially get like an elbow or a shoulder or something, which we know is just going to keep tweaking as he gets older. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like that's why these words from Erod is we talked about it on the show before. Yeah, I know you guys talk about it. There's going to be so much news that comes out of spring training. Like, what do you believe? What do you not believe? When I see Erod say those things, and like you mentioned, they've documented what he's done. Like they've released, like, hey, he's doing this, he's doing this. Yeah, it's a little more believable. Yeah, <laughs> like so. I feel yes. That's not like, hey, Juan Soto wants to steal more bases. <laughs> <laughs> Same manager who said Trey was going to have seventy steals two seasons ago. Exactly. So yeah. let's uh, let's 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 put the carrot in front of the horse a little less on that one. But um, let's talk Los Angeles Dodgers, the reigning World Series champions. That's going to pay me to say for a full season. Um, they re-signed Justin Turner. The most obvious thing that was going to happen this entire postseason. Yeah. He was yeah. coming back to LA. And I kept wanting to tell myself no because I love Edwin Rios so much. So, two-part question. Are you in on Justin Turner around pick 212? And what's your thoughts on Edwin Rios now? Uh, yeah, we never we never thought the Dodgers were going to go into opening day with Edwin Rios as a starting third baseman. Yeah. Um, 212, I, I'm I find third base to be one of the one of the more shallow positions. I don't like to wait that long to get somebody. So um, I haven't, I don't have any shares of Justin Turner right now. And he usually plays about two thirds of the games. I mean, you could 120, 130 games. I I don't know. I could see a draft where I, where I decide to wait till like 150 and get Donaldson or Turner or someone like that. But uh, you know, to me, I don't want to get caught with Donaldson or Turner as my starting third baseman. Although yeah. I, I love I love Turner when he's playing. That's the thing is like when he's playing, it's why it makes it intriguing. It's the whole philosophy. Do you want to draft him as like a corner infield and you know rotate him in and out when he's not healthy? The whole replacement value argument that people like to make because you're right, 130 games. You look at his logs. He's had like one year at 151 in 2018. Other than yeah. that, it's it's like 100 to 130. <laughs> that's what he's going to do. Like the projections, the bad X: 130, 26 homers, hitting 289. Like, yeah, those are awesome numbers. <laughs> so yeah. It's tough. Like he's such a, in a world where batting average just continues to fall. Mm. He is a consistent right there, which is nice. So it's, it's kind of a, a roster construction thing that we talk about once in a while. It's maybe take a chance early on a guy if you want, or if you, like I said, make him a corner infield option if mm. you so choose, but um, it will be pretty interesting. I'm going to put this one across the, the front of the screen here. Not sure if you can see that, but it just popped up there, but uh, we got a, <laughs> we got, we got a friendly one from my buddy D Mindy. Um, I see a lot of, cake on the right side of my screen we got this one earlier i forgot to mention coaching ish he's a good dude one of the best one of the best absolutely absolutely i i'm I'm just glad d menu didn't call me cheesy (laughs) yeah i always feel i always uh i always feel bad because like i I don't have the screen on where the the videos at most of the time i'm scrolling through other sites and then i see like a list of things over here i'm like ah i wasn't ignoring you but um so edwin rios now like the reports are that they still want to play him at third base but obviously no dh limits the overall impact is he even draftable for you right now? No, no, I don't. Sucks. Sucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. That's just that's the short and sweet, simple answer. But man, that swing, that power, just getting held back. Dodgers gonna Dodger. You know, probably have a monster postseason again. I'm gonna have Fab whenever Turner goes down for Edwin Rios, though. Oh yeah, he's gonna be expensive. He's gonna get expensive. Awesome. Yeah, for like for like a two week stint as the starter. <laughs> and, hopefully it's, and hopefully they go to Coors for four. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Um, this one, this move this past week, it brought so many smiles. Like I was a giddy kid on a Monday. CJ Krohn. I love CJ Krohn. I've documented, I've written about him. Like I just I, I love CJ Krohn. Most major league teams don't love CJ Krohn, apparently, because it's one team after another. But he signed with the Colorado Rockies. Sure, it's a minor league deal, but we know how that's gonna go. Mm-hmm. CJ Krohn in Coors Field. Uh, Derek Cardi tweeted out like a full season of Crone in just the Rockies in general, obviously 81 games or whatever at Coors. However, you want to break that down. The numbers were just asinine, basically. Like it was just crazy what he's gonna do. Um, let me pull up the bat projections that uh that Cardi has here. Okay. He has my 110 games, and I don't think these are updated yet. At 110 games, he has 28 homers and a 274 average. So that's just that's just a limited basis there. He's going to pick 311. Since he signed, he's going to pick as high as 196. Wow. What are your thoughts on Crone with the Rockies? Well, two seasons ago in Minnesota, he had the most home runs that should have gone out but didn't because he was playing in a big park. Uh, I think, you know, a place like Colorado – yeah, he's 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 a good he's a good value pick at that at that range. Uh, his batting average is never actually pretty bad. He's two fifty guy, two sixty guy, so he's not going to kill you. And he's got he has the type of power that a a deadened ball is not going to really affect. He has real power. So I I mean he's he's another late power source for you. I like him. I like him late. What's your thoughts on? Okay, so here I found it. And Derek Cardi in 600 plate appearances with the Rockies, the bat X would project Crone for 274, 35 homers, 97 ribbies, 82 runs, and a 366 Woba. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's pretty wild, but um, we'll have to see where that goes. I think it's a, a fun pick. Where would you, would you rather have – they're going pretty close to each other. Crone's probably jumped them a bit now with the move. Would you rather have C.A. Crone in Colorado, which obviously is a great landing spot, but still – maybe questionable playing time mm-hmm. or Renato Nunez in Detroit. You know, Michael Govier was questionable about Crohn's health as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I got to go Crone. I think yeah. he has, he has more, more upside. I love that- Nunez though. I've been waiting for him to find a spot. Yeah, no, I, I when that, that signing happened, I was, I was like a day or two before Crone. I was like, oh, man, it's all happening. My, my DFS boys are all getting signed. It's, this is great. Let's do this. But, um, yeah, N- Nunez is always underappreciated. Tigers, we actually have a question on that later, so I'll, I'll hide some of that. But underappreciated offense for fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Atlanta Braves, they bring back Marcelo Zuna. Nice, uh, nice deal for both sides of the spectrum there. What does that do for you having Ozuna back in Atlanta? I mean, it's a great spot for him. He he was great there. He's comfortable there. Uh, DH or no DH, you can't let a bat like that slip through your fingers just because you have to play in the outfield. He actually wasn't too terrible in 2019 in St. Louis playing outfield, uh, even though prior to that he had rated out as a pretty poor outfielder. But, uh, you know, in a season, they're going to have DH in the NL. So get him back, have him hit just like he has. He's never, ever been bad any season. He's at over 100 
over 107 WRC plus, plus every season, even the quote unquote down years of his career. Yeah, he, he's, he's that model of consistency. That's great. Just realize he's not running anymore, and you're fine. That's just, mm-hmm. just how it's going to go. He's going right before George Springer. Would you rather have Springer or Ozuna? Ozuna. Yeah, I'm with you. Thanks. I like it. I'm not even going to say Ozuna and Judge because Judge just can't stay healthy. But. I can't draft Judge. Yeah, I it can't sucks. even do it. Because I wrote up Judge in a 80. I said I did a, an ADP to pay last year, Judge versus Franmil Reyes. And my argument was Fran will apply to play most of a full season. Judge won't, so their numbers will be similar. Yeah. But like, if you look at Judge's, like, when he's healthy, the dude is scary. It's just he can't stay healthy. It's right. terrifying. So that'll wrap up the recent news segment. Obviously, it's fun. They're actually signing people these days. That's a change of pace. But I wanted to hit on your late-round catcher t- uh, uh, targets. You mentioned you're going to be writing a catcher streaming article. When you're going into drafts, how do you approach the catcher's position? There's, like, between, like, one catcher, two catcher leagues, 12 team, 15 team leagues. How do you go about uh, the catcher position? Well, if it's a, a one catcher league, I'm a little bit more casual about it because you can find uh, pe- people don't really, people try to boost up catchers who don't need to be boosted up is what, I, is what I'll say. Um, I think uh, in a one catcher league, you can wait and get a guy like Christian Vasquez who who's going way behind uh you know Sal Perez and Will Smith and all those guys and I think it's going to provide you with a little bit of speed and also pretty good batting statistics in a two catcher league though when you consider that on average about 21 catchers per year get about half playing time and on average uh only about 18 19 catchers per year are actually positive offensive value I like to go early on catcher because it is one of the biggest advantages you can get on team building uh, uh, over anybody, over everybody else. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. It's 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 a trend that I'm waiting to see catch on because you just said it. Toby preaches it like crazy, and I I bought into it. Listen to him talk about because it, it makes a ton of sense. The advantage, like I like we just looked at outfield ADP talking about some late outfield guys. I would rather take my chances with late outfielders than late catchers. Like, yeah, everyone wants to talk about replacement value. I get the argument there, but say you don't not even take in real Muto. go and take Yasmani Grandal around mm-hmm. pick whatever he's going 100, 120 something. You can find a outfielder or something later in the draft that'll make up the difference between Yasmani Grandal and Danny Jansen. Absolutely, like, you, you can find that. So I'm with you there. It's it's at least in two catcher leagues, I found myself, especially 15 team two catcher leagues. I found myself getting at least one really good guy early trying to get two. Now, this year it's interesting because you have some of the veterans that are boring, like Buster Posey's all of a sudden not expensive. He's got good yeah. average, no power. Yadi Molina's back. He's steady Eddie. So you got some interesting options if you want to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the targets you have going late are very intriguing. Your top targets are Wilson Ramos, Omar Narvaez, and Ian Gomes. I wanted to ask you about Narvaez, a guy that I've been very high on in recent years. Uh, people don't believe him because the stack cast numbers or whatever are kind of sketchy. What do you have on Narvaez that, that that you like to take as a top target late? Well, Narvaez had possibly the worst uh, season by a catcher over the last five seasons. As far as Rasball value was 2020. Uh, now he's, even if you include that his WRC plus over his career, 1300 plate appearances is over 100. It's 108. Uh, I, I like Milwaukee's offense, even which was everyone was 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 cold in Milwaukee last year. I like them as a team to bounce back a little bit. And I think that even if they do uh, split playing time, you know, 
platoon him with Manny Pena, which I'm not 100% sure they're going to do. I think that he's good. There are a lot of right-handers in the NL Central, and he's going to be getting a lot of plate appearances. I I see him getting at least 400 plate appearances this year, and bringing back that 100 WRC plus that we have expected from him prior to 2020. No, I like that quite a bit. I think people don't realize just how good he can be, and he's one of those guys that kind of stat cast. It's just not going to work in his favor, it looks like. And a lot of it's because he goes the opposite way so much, I think, that kind of affects him. If he starts pulling the ball more, watch out. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, you have Jan Gomes there, and it's always been, you know, Jan Gomes, Ichiro Suzuki, platoon, platoon, platoon. Well, Ichiro's out of town, or not Ichiro, Kurt Suzuki. Yeah. Yeah, Kurt's out of town now. So yeah. you're in on Jan Gomes this year, it looks like. Yeah, well, they signed, um, I think, Alex Avila to be yeah. the backup catcher, and he's not stealing at bats from anybody Gomes, you know, he's, he's a good defensive catcher, but he's not, his hitting is not going to get him more plate appearances than he deserves. Gomes has been a really good hitting catcher. I mean, his over, over the past six, seven years, he has uh you know, 15 home run potential. He's, he, he's going to hit 250 to 280, you know, anywhere in that range and over 400 to 450 plate appearances, Going that late, he's going to be a top 15 overall catcher, and he's going as like the 23rd or 24th catcher right now. I like it. I like that one a lot. Um, some of your later targets, your young targets, you wrote down Ryan Jeffers, and I'm very excited about this because I've been taking him in like best ball draft and holds pretty late as a second catcher, maybe even a third catcher. I think the average upside's big, and I feel like he's going to play over Garver right now. So what do you see when you see Ryan Jeffers? I, I, I think he's going to play over Garver as well. He's got the, uh, you know, Garver, even in his amazing 2019, only got 350 plate appearances. It wasn't like they, they carved out 400 to 450 plate appearances. Jeffers, they said he's he's ready defensively to, to catch in the bigs. And that's usually the biggest hurdle that a young catcher has when they're coming up is getting up there, being able to handle the pitching staff, being able to handle the thinking part of the game. Uh, and they, you know, the word is that he's ready so he can just come up and hit like he has been in the minor leagues. And he had a, a nice little, nice little cup of coffee last year with them. No, I like it quite a bit. Um, you have Luis Torrens down from the Seattle Mariners. And this one, I, this is why I was really intrigued to talk to you is he's listed as a starting catcher on roster resource. Mm-hmm. They have Tom Murphy, who we know tons of power, does not much else. And you're in on him this year, it looks like. So talk to us about Luis Torrance, because I have not heard anybody talk about him. Well, I mean, it could be more that I am completely out on Tom Murphy. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, but, you know, they, they let – in September, Torrance was starting almost every game for, for them after they picked him up from San Diego in that trade. Um, Torrance is someone who's who San Diego picked up from the Rule 5 draft in 2017, and he was a – a single A player never played above single A, but they kept him on the major league roster for the entire 2017 season. And he was completely overmatched, but they wanted to have him in the system um, because they believed in him so much. And I think this is one of those sneaky gets in the trade that Seattle got uh, in that trade. They got Munoz and they got Torrens, you know, after that slow development year, a 2017 by 2019, he had started to show pop in his bat. And uh, he hit well. Uh, he had he's had high minor league batting averages. Uh, he's been able to keep his strikeouts down all throughout the the minor leagues. So I think he's someone who he's going to be putting the ball in play. He's had good batting averages. 
And if he continues to show that pop, I like him. Yeah, Murphy's. I, I, I have no respect for Murphy's game other than his pop. Uh, he strikes out so much. Uh, I think Torrens, you know, given that long uh, 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 view they got had with him last year, I think he's going to elbow out Murphy for for full-time position there. Yeah, I'm looking at his – I got his fangrass page up right now. And since he came over, like you mentioned, that that year he had to spin in 2017, I, you just crossed that one off. Like that's just you – know, he's yeah. overmatched, wasn't supposed to be there. But, man, after that, like you said, power started to slowly develop, hitting for, hit 280, hit 300 in back-to-back stops in the minors. Even last year, it was between the, the Padres and the Mariners, hit 257. Um, but more importantly, that really stands out, like you said, low strikeout rate, which for a young player, even in the bigs, is big. Like last year, he struck out 19.2% of the time. So that's showing he's making the adjustments, which mm-hmm. is really good to see. And then the walk rates have always been pretty good, 8 9%, sometimes double digits. So he gives you some OVP upside as well. Like this is intriguing to me. That's why, again, like I said, I wanted to – I like to learn things as I host podcasts. And um, Torrance is a guy I really just kind of looked over time and time again because Seattle just frustrates the snot out of me. Yeah. But um, this is an intriguing one. I'm, I'm definitely going to have to dig in some more here and maybe grab a share or two later on. I like that quite a bit. Um, you have a couple other guys that I have on like all of my rosters, at least one of them, if not two. And that's Jacob Stallings and Elias Diaz. Elias Diaz is like my boo. If the Rockies, yeah. screw, if the Rockies screw this up, I'm going to be so furious but I shouldn't be surprised. So um, any, any thoughts on Stallings and Diaz? Cause you can get them for free right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're guys who are getting played appearances who I, I mean, Stallings was a um, gold glove finalist last year. And so I think there's no way that he's going to be losing plate appearances. They're going to play him for his defense and he hits for a good batting average. He's always had a, <clears throat> excuse me. He's always had a high BABIP. He's been able to maintain that. So, He's not going to be giving you a lot of pop, but he is going to be a guy who's not going to hurt you in batting average. And his counting stats are going to accumulate because he's going to be getting the the playing time. Diaz, I find a little bit more interesting because I think he has a lot more upside than Stallings because one, because he's done really well over a good sample in 2018 in Pittsburgh. And two, because he's also in Colorado now. Um I, I so he he didn't do very well in his first run in Colorado, but it was seventy three plate appearances. Or sorry, fifty three plate appearances. I think if, if and uh, but in those fifty three plate appearances, he had six barrels, which was as many as he had in all of twenty nineteen, which was a really bad year for him, a poor year in Pittsburgh. I think that there's a good shot he comes out and is back to what he was like in twenty eighteen, with full time run in in Colorado. I I, I like him. But I, I, I do also like their backup. They got a, they signed a backup for him. Um, his name Nunez, I think. Yeah, Tom Nunez, who's a, who's who is a who has some some interesting parts about him too. But I think yeah, it's that, Diaz's to start, and and uh, if I, he hits as I expect, I think he'll hold on to it. Yeah, it should be Diaz's to start. But I, I pull up Nunez's page and does show some pop in the minors. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that is and a little bit of speed as well. Like yeah. From 2018 through 2013, he had seven or more steals every year in the minors. So that's for a catcher. Don't tell Toby; he might get excited here. That's, <laughs> uh, that's uh, like a that's like a almost you need a safe word if you tell him that it's a catcher that steals. So that's uh, interesting stuff right there. Um, no, good stuff, really good stuff. I, I liked uh, that Torrens one. Really wanted to get your thoughts on that, so that gets me uh, needing to dig in some more on that. But 
let's talk some TGFBI and it kind of, I want to talk strategy involved with it. Obviously don't give away all your secrets. That's there's no, no fun in that, but Mm -hmm. it's fun because I've had the privilege of knowing Justin Mason for a while and being since, since it started. So I guess this would be my fourth year in TGFBI and watching it grow. And I love many things about it, but one of the biggest things is you get to meet so many people you don't know. When I first started, I, I didn't know any of the quote unquote big names, Right. Now I talk to Jeff Erickson on the regular because I was in a league with him. Like there's just there's little things that when you start out you think you know you see a CBS or a RotoWire like they'll never talk to me, but mm-hmm. then you, you play in a league with them and everyone I've, I've said it forever this community is so friendly like no one's scary like that. But for now I get to every league you think you know everybody and you don't like I'm in a league right now where I only knew like two other guys so I have followed all these new people and I'm getting to know them. Once we draft I'll really get to know them. Yeah, so I'm loving that. But I wanted to talk to you because this is your first year in TGF, guys. So first, congratulations. Thank you. And um, secondly, what? Um, let's just start out with the basics. What's your – obviously, you want to win the whole thing. But what's your realistic goal? What do you want to do like to have like a successful, respectable season? I want to finish in the top 100. Okay. I think I like that answer. I'll let you finish it because you know most people are like I gotta win, but let's be real about it. It's <laughs> fantasy baseball. Where could you finish? And be like, okay, that was that was fun. That was good. So top one hundred, good. Yeah, that's the top twenty five percent. I yeah. think that's that's pretty lofty with this competition, and it, you know it's it's going to be the first actual overall competition that I've ever entered. So uh, I, I'm going to have to you know I, I've been working out how I want to attack it. Uh, but you know, I'm, I've been picking a lot of people's brains. Yep. No, it, it, it's fun. Um, I, I think a flaw of mine is I draw always draft more safe or cautious. So it might work well in my individual league, but for an overall, it's it tricky, but obviously baseball so long, you can make fab changes and make that work. Um, do you plan on staying safe? Or are you going to take a few more risks than you usually take? What are you going in? Because I, like I, Two years ago, I finished 35th overall. Uh, the last day, I, I think three of us finished in the top 35, and it was fluctuating like crazy. And so safe can work, but it's obviously the other two years, I was like outside the top 100. So how do, how do you plan on going about it? Um, well, the, the sexy guys, uh, I, I, I see a strategy. Let me just say I, – I see a strategy that I'm not sure I'm going to implement with, with Alberto Mondesi as being the, that's the unsafe strategy where I go with, for someone who's like really, really being drafted highly, but has some extreme like Mondesi. Um, but I probably won't. I'm generally a safe drafter, especially in my first 10 rounds. I don't want to, to miss my first 10 picks. I want to hit on all of them. So, um, so I start to take chances, <laughs> at that point with guys like, like Erod, with guys like Paxton, with guys. Uh, well, I guess we'll find out where, where, where Kluber's going at that point, but Kluber's a guy I definitely could see taking a chance on. And, and I, I like the, the point there because, you know, you, you get those first 10 rounds or so of quote unquote safe picks, obviously anything can happen, but mm-hmm. these are guys you, you feel pretty confident you're going to start time after time and you don't have to worry about anything. But now you're taking these guys later on that, you know, on a normal year, if they were healthy, would probably be a top 10 round pick. And now you're getting them here. So it's kind of the whole values, a very touchy word these days. And I love yeah. Rob Pietro. We talked yeah. about it before, but, and I get his point, I, but we even, even on that show, we're like, well, what do we call it? Like it's value. But um, 
it's uh, that's kind of what you got to look for to to get that ceiling player where he's not supposed to be. So potential value or whatever you want to call it. When you're drafting, now this is where it gets fun because I'll take a gamble or two, like you're saying, once you get a little later. But for like an overall, you don't need to have a bunch of gambles, but you have to have a couple that hit. Yeah. Are you planning on, and again, if you don't want to answer, it's fine. Are you planning on taking multiple gambles or is it kind of, I'll take a couple like usual and see what happens? Well, I I think that there's a lot of values coming off of the short sample. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a guy like Jose Altuve is at a huge value right now. Well, a huge He's yeah. being at a huge discount right now. Yeah. Rob, Rob, uh, yeah. getting in my head. Uh, he's being taken at a huge discount right now. Uh, and second base is, is is a position where if you have a nice advantage there, it's an, it's kind of like catcher in that respect. Um, so, and I think, you know, a lot of guys that had a poor short sample, you could, you could actually do a poor short sample team on like almost all the way through and, look at it and go, I really like this team. I think like you can have Austin Meadows, Jose Altuve, um, you know, JD Martinez. If, if you're, if you're stacking all these guys on your team, you're like, I think they're all going to come back. And you got like six or seven guys who a year or two ago, were going top five rounds and you got them in like nine, 10 or no, like se- six, seven, eight rounds, you know? You're getting a couple round value for sure compared yeah. to what you were. And like Ryan Bloomfield, I think he did a, a DC, I think it was right after the Super Bowl or maybe a few weeks before that. Maybe it was after or when the playoffs started for football or whatever. But he did one of his first ones and he put up his like first 10 picks. He's like, look at it. It's a 2019 ADP list. And it was like, <laughs> because and it's so true. It's like you look at it and going, oh man, like literally Altuve used to be a top two or three round pick. You mentioned JD. Like you just go down the list of all these guys and it's, Man, if they can rebound even close to what they were before, you're right. getting like something nice here. So it's you mentioned Austin Meadows. I'm going to ask you, what are you doing with him? Because I know COVID hit him, but man, did he look so bad last year? He did. And early on in the in the off season, I was I was completely off of him. But now that I'm getting into my roto drafts, I'm not doing any best ball drafts anymore. The the potential for ten plus steals, uh plus 20 to 30 home runs. And I like, he's going to be hitting at the top of the lineup, man. I I'm, I'm, I'm buying back in at his yeah. new, at his new range. Like I'm not waiting until 90. I'm getting him in like the seventies and eighties now where he was going 34, 35 in July. Yeah. Right now in the month of February on online drafts, he's average ADP is 94 high as 77. Like, yeah, he was the top 30, 30 to 40 pick. last year. That's yeah. That's kind of like, okay, would you rather go take the chance in Austin Meadows at 94 or take Teoscar Hernandez at 80? I take Meadows. I I think Teoscar is riskier, actually. I don't disagree with that. What about Meadows at 94 or Trent Grisham at 63? Oh, man. (laughs) I love Grisham this year. Um, Ah. (laughs) <laughs> i think if i okay for for the discount i'll take meadows yeah see that's where it gets tough it gets it but because then we just talked about replacement value with catchers okay so if you get meadows here then i pick 63 or whatever maybe i get a pretty good sp2 or i go and get a second baseman because that's a bad position we talked about yeah like it, it makes that's why scheduling out or at least doing all the drafts like you're doing to get ready for it 
Very interesting. You mentioned now that you're not doing best balls, you're doing rotos, you're in the med- to meadows. Can you let the listeners kind of have an idea of what strategy changes do you make from best ball to like your standard roto type stuff? Well, I was paying a lot more attention to guys' um, walk rates, to guys' strikeout rates for best ball. I was really trying to plan that also. I mean, you're going pitching so yeah, early. Yeah. You're going pitching heavy. So as you're going with your with your hitters, you're you're going, okay, who's gonna be getting plate appearances? Who's gonna be who's gonna be uh, and and for me, Meadows is is a plate appearance risk because yeah. it's Tampa Bay, because he had um he had a core injury. He had a, a what was it, a side strain, which is one of those injuries that reoccurs more often than other uh, other strain injuries. So I think that there is potential uh, injury concerns with him. But um, so I was staying away from him because I thought, you know, it's possible he's going to be 450 to 500 plate appearances. But I think in a in a roto, if he's sitting 25 home runs and 10 stolen bases in those 500 plate appearances, that's really valuable. That's yeah. that's that's more than the 94th pick. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I've always said it with Tampa. They're going to rotate so many guys in and out. But it's like when Meadows is healthy, he's going to mm-hmm. play every day. Like yeah. Willie Adamas, I'm pretty confident he's playing shortstop every day. Like there's a couple guys in that lineup that are pretty locked in, mm-hmm. but then you play with everybody else. Um, when you're drafting leagues, now obviously TGFBI is a 15 team league. What what do you do differently from a 15 team league between compared to like a 12 team league? Like when like you're doing like an NFBC online championship or a satellite or whatever, that's a 12 team league. Maybe a home league is a 12 team league, but now we're doing a 15 team league. What are you doing differently? I'm much more likely to take two hitters in a 12 team league to start off a draft. Uh, I don't want to get out of the first two rounds without a pitcher. And I'm much more likely to take a pitcher in the first round of a 15 team draft because I, maybe it's just this season. I consider probably five guys in a 15 team draft to be a first round value. Maybe, maybe six, depending on where you, how you consider the Dodgers are going to, pitch Bauer this year um whether or not he's going to be I mean he obviously is not going to pitch every four days like he wants to but is he going to get Dodger get like 180 innings or is he going to get 200 innings like I don't know yeah I think it's a great question because it's the Dodgers and we don't know and really they pay these guys because they want them in the postseason Mm -hmm. they're pretty they're pretty much locked in there like there's no unless something really crazy happens they're going to be in October and that's when they want him the most. That's what they paid him for. So it's interesting. It's like it makes a ton of sense to baby him because they have so much depth. Gonsolin, May, and all these guys that aren't in the rotation anymore. Mm-hmm. But there's like part of you that knows Bauer's ego. Yeah. That if you start like sitting him for no reason, he's gonna go straight to Twitter and say he's not hurt or something. Like it's just gonna it's gonna turn <laughs> into like a, like as much as everybody loved Yasiel Puig, there's a reason he was out of L.A. Like he eventually the clubhouse just can't handle the crazy. And Bauer is the epitome of a phenomenal ball player and full on crazy. Like yeah. so, it's it's just one of those deals, and that's why I was kind of I understood why the Dodgers did it. It's one of those, hey, we got Kershaw on all these veterans, maybe they can hone him in. Yeah, but it's like you already have such a good chemistry there. Why do you want to bring him into the mix to to mess with it? It's it's tricky. It's a very fine line. So I'm I'm curious. Like Bauer's a guy that I haven't been able to draft yet. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, have, I haven't I taken him either. It could have been just because they wanted to keep him out of New York's hands. I mean, no, totally. They got the money to keep him away. Why not, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, I, so for, for 15s, it's definitely pitching is something that, that I'm going much making sure I'm getting early in a 15. Whereas in a 12, I'm feeling fine in the third round who I'm getting at pitcher as my ace. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I used to never be a, a massive pitcher early guy. And I definitely am now. Like I believe in my goal is to get like at least two in the first three, four at the most rounds. Mm-hmm. And I kind of almost want to get like three in the first five if I can. Yeah. Cause then I feel comfortable. Like after that, if I want to take a break, I feel good. Whereas 12 teams, like you said, there's three fewer teams. So that's, Quick, man, say it's a 30-round draft. There's 90 fewer players getting drafted. Obviously, it's a little less. That's a lot of replacement value you can take either on the waiver wire mm-hmm. or throughout the draft You can do things differently. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of take your your gambles a little more. I kind of still want at least maybe one ace in the first couple of rounds. Yeah. But I'm not as, like you said, if like certain hitters drop, I'm going to just roll with the hitters. We're going to make things happen. Now, when you're talking about, let's say, closers, for instance, in a mm-hmm. 12 to a 15, um, there's so many more closers in a 12 team league, but at the same time, you might need more saves because there's so many available to qualify. Yeah. Whereas in a 15, there's you know, that's 30 closers potentially. There's your there's your league. If you're waiting too long, you're gonna get screwed. But there's also fewer saves to be had potentially for the roto points. So how do you go about that that scenario? Well, I've I've gone closer. I went closer early on my most two recent. I I have Rysel Iglesias on one and I have Hader on the other. So I, I, I'm feeling like I have to go pretty early. I don't mind setting the market, setting the first pick in the draft on the closer just because I want, and Hendrick, I actually have Hendricks as my top closer, but I want to have uh, one of the top, you know, three or four actually, just so that I'm sure that I can come back and, you know, try to, you know, take column A and get, him a lot later, Kimbrel get him a lot later. Um, and, and guys who I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm hoping I get 20 to 30 from these other guys because I'm getting 30 to 40 from my top guy. And then I'll be all right on saves. Um, but I, because like, uh, especially on the, on the twelves, you're right. I don't want to be waiting. And like my top closer is James Karinchak. Yeah. You know, that's rough. Yeah. He might not be saving games, people. Hate to break it to you. Yeah. Might not be having it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just it's just a, a math thing. When you look at overall saves needed to qualify for X percentile and all these different things, you start hamstringing your or hamstringing yourself to this whole scenario. Um, I'm with you. I at least want one closer early. If I can get two, that's great. It just seems like these drafts we're doing right now. Once like the first big one goes, it's like a domino effect, and if if you're not hurrying, you might get one of the top five or six. Otherwise, you're looking at Krenchek in hand, and now you're like, hmm, do I yeah. just wait a few more rounds and just say screw it and get you know, call him a or someone else later and roll the dice there? It's it's tricky, very tricky. I mean, there's definitely a strategy. Like you can say, all right, I'm removing relievers from my board for 15 rounds, and in the first 15 rounds, save a 15 team, there could be 30 relievers taken. So you're pushing. 30 guys up your draft board and that way you're getting like values at outfield and shortstop and starting pitcher that other, when other guys are worrying about relief pitchers, sure. but you're going to be way behind on saves at that. And uh, you're going to be spending a lot of your effort during the season to catch up. Yeah. It's one of those things that you can get home runs later. You can get stolen base later. You can't get saves all the time. No. And there's the saying that you can get saves on the waiver wire. Sure. It's expensive. It's very expensive. So if you want to play that game, I know some people love doing it. More power to you. It's a gigantic headache. <laughs> so good yeah. luck with that. 
Yeah, and you're not, uh, and you're not. Uh, maybe you're not able to compete on prospects coming up because you're worried you have to save Fab for for saves. Yeah, like when Justin Turner gets hurt, now you can't get Edwin Rios. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. It's such a scenario. Yeah, just let that sink in for a minute. Um, so yeah, that that's another fun one. You mentioned you're not afraid to, to jump ahead to get your closers. Just in general, it doesn't have to be for closers per se. Just any position type guy, just a player that you like. How do you like? I've had this question on the show before from from listeners. How do you know when you want to jump or how soon to jump? Type thing. I tell them it's just kind of what's going on in the draft. Like you can't. There's no scientific answer to it. Right. But like, how early to you is like two? Are you willing to go two rounds, three rounds, four rounds? Like, what are you doing when you're looking at that? Um, I sometimes will plan my jumps if I know my draft position going in. I will. I will look three rounds early just to make sure I get a guy if I really want him bad. I will plan it like, okay, in round six, I'm taking so-and-so. So that so I'll build my, my first five rounds up to that. Um, but if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not committed to, to a guy on my team, I like to go two rounds early because, because you don't want to get cute with it and miss your guy. And especially in TGFBI, for instance, and you've been doing some, some analyst leagues and everything. ADP does not count. Right. Like it just, especially you're going to see in TGFBI, it might count for the first couple of rounds is because it's kind of, yes, this is where the guy, it's like in football. Yes. These are the best running backs. Like that's, a, that's what's going to happen. Once like that first slew of positions go, get your guys, just go yeah. get them. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise it's not Absolutely. happening. It gets wild. Yeah. Come up with your order of guys that you want to get. And so you'll, you'll probably get most of them. When you say something like that, and this is where I think it gets interesting, people have like their ranking sheets or you can have like a tier sheet. Like, do you like the idea of the tiers? Cause then it's like, okay, I want to get one of these guys in a tier. So make sure I jump when I have to jump. Or how do you go about it in your like kind of rankings that you're talking about? Um, I rank uh, by round rankings. Yeah. And um, so I, so I'll have, um, you know, depending on, on how it goes, I'll say, you know, there are five outfielders I have as first round rankings, just saying, or, or six. I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head. I'll do round rankings so that when I go through a draft, um, I'll have, you know, I'll cross off as people get drafted. And I go, oh, I have a third round rank on that guy, and I'm in the seventh round right now. That is who I'm targeting, you know. Um, so I don't necessarily tier positions, but uh, when I'm building my draft board, I, I move people around aggressively to, to try and put people on my draft board in positions where like they will look like I'm getting them at a, at a fantastic uh, uh, acquisition cost, according there to DPHO. Um, when I, because I consider them, because I, I bump them up to two or three rounds on my draft board. That makes sense. I like that quite a bit. Um, with all these early drafts that you've been doing, what do you think is, well, first off, I'll say this. What position do you think is the weakest position that you need to be more aggressive on? It's third base. I've been caught and like, I I love Cabrian Hayes, but I've been caught with him on too many teams as my third baseman. And and I'm just not confident. You know, Matt Williams is like, he's going down to the minors. I'm like, stop saying that he's on too many of my teams. (laughs) Yeah. I love Cabrian. I love Cabrian, but it's like, I either have him or thank God, like I say it once it happens, thank God someone likes him more than me and took him because like I, I'm with you. It's I'm going to take him on my next pick if he's there. Okay, good. Someone took him. Thank you. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to worry about it because 
I have I have such high hopes, but it's one of those where you can see just the kind of banana peel coming out at some point in time. So. Yeah, and and I don't know what to do about Josh Donaldson. I'm not sure what to expect from him. Like Turner's, yeah. like we we talked about Turner. Yeah, so I'd rather what, Turner just because like at least like, that average is so huge. But I, it's it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. So I mean, if I and, and like no no one no one knows what you're going to get from Chris Bryant. No one knows what you're going to get from a lot of a lot of these third basemen that you are hoping to rely on season over season. So if you're not looking in the first couple third basemen, it's really a crapshoot. Yeah, it gets nasty. It's real nasty. Now we're talking about like statistical categories, the main five by five roto, let's say offensively. What's the one that you feel most confident that you can get later in drafts? It's power. Yeah, it's yeah. gotta be power. Yeah. Now, I just wanted to have someone else say it too, because I try to tell the listeners when they ask questions, you know, this is what another reason we can get JT Ramuto here, because I can get a power outfielder later. Like Ramuto's yeah. average will you know, take over the problem here and you get stolen bases from a catcher, like you mentioned. So now his value at a catcher's position is tremendous. And now I can go later and I'll still get power, hopefully like a 240 to 250 average, and you can make it work type thing. Cole so, Calhoun. It's the Cole Calhoun. No respect. No respect. My goodness. I can already see it. I'm going to put out my rankings and people are going to go, why is Cole Calhoun ranked so high? I said, go look at his pages. Like, I don't even want to tell you. five home runs this year. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to explain. Just go look at his pages, please. Just go ahead. It makes it easier. But yeah, he's a he's quite the stud. So before we wrap up TGFBI, any final like thoughts that you have? You questions for me for TGFBI? Anything TGFBI related for you? Oh man, I you know the, the league is I'm in Justin Mason's league. Actually. Oh, he he puts you in his league. That's a tough one. I've seen I can't remember, but I remember it's ranked pretty high as one of the tougher leagues. So it yeah, is. It's pretty yeah. tough. There's a lot of first uh, first timers in the league, but then it's balanced by a lot of real vets in the league. Nice. So, so, uh, so speaking of TGFBI goals, I'd like to beat all the other first timers in my league. <laughs> See, that's a reasonable goal, though. That's a yeah. good reasonable goal. I like that. Um, I think there's like eight or nine first timers in mine too, uh, and then there's maybe one other fourth year guy like me. So. Like so, that kind of, part of it, part of me goes, "Oh man, that's a lot of pressure." Like I gotta, <laughs> I can't can't get smoked in this league, but it's tough. Baseballs, man. You know, you've played it long enough, or any fantasy league. It just takes one or two injuries, and it's just like, <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, the best the best player can't overcome that. That's what got me in, in last year because due to COVID and everything else, my fab was gone by the midseason point. I was I had no option. I, I just tried to field a roster. That's all I could do. It was impossible. It sucked. <laughs> So do you, do you, when you're fabbing, do you try to look like, oh, I might need this person in two weeks so I can get them for less now? Yeah, Is that something that you do? That's what I'm trying to do. And trust me, I've asked some of the best fab players. Luckily, I record with one of them. Toby is phenomenal at fab, but dude, he spends more hours on that than I can even imagine spending. So that's probably why he's so good at it. Uh, like Vlad Sedler, I've asked him before and some other guys, Scott Jenstead, some of the best at it. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you they look at um, kind of the 10 to 14 game schedules and go, okay, hey, in two weeks, this dude's going to be in Coors. Right. You can get him for a buck right now. Right. But you got to make sure you got that roster spot. So it's kind of tricky. You'll see it a lot, especially with a lot of the really experienced guys. You know, going into the week, you'll see everyone spend a lot of money for two star pitchers that week. Mm-hmm. But you can buy the two star pitchers the following week for like a dollar instead of like $30. Yeah. That adds up a lot in the end. Like a lot, a lot. So, and if you do it for a dollar and somehow the schedule changes or the rotation changes, which happened a lot last year with COVID, 
was a dollar. Like it really yeah. doesn't crush you. So it's the more you can figure that out, and there's more and more awesome resources that are making it easier to figure mm-hmm. that out. It's true. Baseball HQ has some, Rasball has some, Rotowire has some, like even ESPN has some. Like there's places you can find it now, which makes life so much easier. That, um, yeah, that's something I'm trying to become better at. That's for sure. It's because uh, I used to be the same guy, like, oh, it's su- Sunday morning. Let's go look at who's on the waiver wire. That's like, yeah, no, that's not going to get you very far. <laughs> now, I've heard people be like, oh, so and so went for three hundred dollars. I can't imagine spending thirty percent on one person. But like, what's what's your flaws? Do you is there like a maximum percentage of your budget that you're going to spend? I well, guess early at least. It okay. It depends on the player, but usually I'm very frugal, mm-hmm. and that sometimes is a detriment of mine. But like the year I finished thirty fifth overall, I was still able to buy players until the final week. And the later in the season when no one else has money, you get them for basically free because there's no zero dollar bids. So it's a fine line. It's a very fine line. Like last year, I had no choice because literally I was just getting gutted by injuries. I couldn't fill the roster. So I was 20 bucks here, 30 bucks here. Like it was just, it might not have been one $300 player, but I spent like $400 the first week or something just to fill the roster. So that part sucked. You had like Fabapalooza a couple years ago with all Akira and all them came up. I I didn't get any of them. Because I didn't spend enough money. So I should answer your question right there for one. Right. But it just depends. Some guys are really good at it. Some guys like me still trying to figure it out. I do better kind of getting the the mid to low type guys. I The ones I do get, I'll get relievers. I'll spend on those if I'm desperate for saves because I need the saves. Um, the, other, the other guys are usually such question marks. I'm kind of nervous to spend the money, if that makes sense. Do you do you feel like specking on eighth inning guys is is worth it, or is it there's just not enough roster spots to do that? If you have the roster spots, that's that thing is because there's no ILs on NFBC, there's none of that. So literally, you need to be able to use these roster spots to maybe speculate two weeks in early for a hitter or a two star pitcher. I have no problem speculating on closers, or if you have the 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 options for it. One thing I've done the last few years, you know, super cheap um, openers. Mm-hmm. They, they're going to pitch two innings. They're going to be out, but they're going to pitch twice a week. So you might get four to five innings, hopefully decent ratios, a couple stay, like a strikeout per inning. That just adds up over time if you need some. I had like Wilmer Font that year that I finished 35th. And people are like, why did you buy him for a buck? He was opening for the Blue Jays like twice a week. And his mm-hmm. ERA was like low. He wasn't walking anybody. It helped my ratios out a ton. So it's just kind of team dependent as you go on through the year. But specking on – Sometimes a, a spec closer is going to be better than any starting pitcher on the waiver wire. Yeah. Yeah. So 15 teams leagues, you get deep. You got to get creative. Uh, that's just the best thing I can say is, especially once injuries happen, it's like, okay, I can go pick up Chris Bubick, who I, I actually don't mind in a deep league. Yeah. But you can go get him or, hey, I can go get uh, Nick Wittegren of Cleveland and see if he maybe gets some saves eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. I- I think he might end up being the closer anyway. I'm with you. I've been saying that the whole time, and I think it's starting to, like, more and more. I'm hearing it more and more. I'm like, oh, yes, I might have got speak, one right. Let's speak it into existence. Yes, I'm with you. All right, let's do some listener questions here. We have uh, a couple of them to go off of. Stephen Yeomans at Kinda Not asks, who are your favorite targets from teams projected to be out of contention, like Baltimore, Detroit, Pittsburgh? So teams that are bad, and I mentioned, like, in DFS, I played Baltimore, Detroit guys all the time last year. Mm-hmm. So that was – I love Baltimore guys. Trey Boo is my boy. So I'm a big fan there. But what are some guys you're looking at on these kind of underachieving teams? Well, um, 
I love almost all of the Kansas City Royals. Yes, so I'm not a sure. Very sneaky lineup. I'm not sure if we would consider them underachieving, but I I wanted to say that Bubik was a nice late pickup, especially yeah. a really late draft. If you got like a 50 round draft and hold, he's going to throw innings. Uh, Seattle has a lot. I'm not sure if we're going to consider them a poor team, but J.P. Crawford, Ty France, Evan White, late guys there. Um, but uh, Baltimore, to me, Baltimore and Detroit are the uh, are the are the gold standard of of poor teams uh, with with potential. Because on Detroit, I, I I'm going after Ramos, I'm going after Scope, I'm going after Nunez and Castro, uh, Grossman. I, although I'm not a hundred percent sure how much he's going to get uh, after they sign Mazzara. Uh, I, I, I like Detroit a lot. Baltimore with Santander, Chance Cisco, a super late catcher who I like, and uh, Hunter Harvey. I think he's going to be full-time closer for them all season. Baltimore, and, you know, with team, you don't need to get 100 wins to get 40 saves. You could have 65 wins, and 40 of them are save situations. I think Hunter Harvey could get could end up walking into 30-plus saves this year. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot to like from those sneaky teams, and they come at a cheap price because they're not good. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a beautiful thing there. Um, this You might know this guy, David Mendelson at DMindio2 asks, what is different about your draft process from this year compared to last year? Uh, I, I, I'm much more likely to take a pitcher in the first round now than I was last year. Uh, so that I'm going to bring that back. And, uh, and like I said earlier as well, the 2020 discount guys are uh, the guys who had poor 2020s. Uh, I'm, I'm much more likely to disregard last season than I was coming into last season. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's a big change for me. Um, yeah. Yes. Starting pitching is, is moved up. Definitely. For sure. I think everyone's feeling that way. Yeah, no, that's a common theme, but I'm like you, I wasn't, I was still trying to get a couple, but I wasn't like fortunate like I am now. Like I yeah. wanted, so I didn't ask you this for TGFB. That was our final listener question, but you, for NFBC leagues, for those that don't know, you have to set a KDS. That's your Kentucky Derby style drafting. Like you put in one through 15, whatever order you want. You don't have to give me your numbers, mm-hmm. but do you prefer front, middle, or back? I like the back. Yeah, because like- you get, get those pitchers. Yeah, you get those pitchers, <laughs> and you get you get your second player before everyone else. What I tell people is, I prefer the back than the middle than the front. That's kind of how I look at it. And the reason I kind of like the back, I guess maybe the mid, the front before the middle, but the middle's not bad because you don't miss out on runs, right? But the back I like because, like you said, early early in the draft, you get like you can get the two good pitchers or whatever, you get two really good studs before everyone else does. But the other thing is, I like how it makes me, like we talked about, reach for my players. Yeah. Because yeah. I'll, I know, hey, if I'm picking 14, it's like 28 to 30 picks, so rough math, 28 picks or whatever, before I pick again. Right. There's a great chance that guy's not going to be here. And do I want to take that chance? Go get no, your guy. That, you're, you're 100% right. I never thought about it that way. But that's one of the reasons why I do like it, because, because I – I can throw the draft sheet out the window and yep. just go, my guys, I'm just going to draft them here because I don't, you know, 28 picks, who knows what's going to happen? Yep. Who knows? And so I'm reaching on closes. I'm reaching on starters that I really like. And people might go, why'd you make that pick? And I'm like, this is who I like. You know, like you said, throw it out. 
Yeah, because like say say you're picking 14 and it's say it's round four and you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna get a closer when he comes back to me. Well, if like the three picks from then a guy starts a closer, that run's gonna start. You're yeah. stuck now with like we talked about the guys you don't want to pick. Like you just right. miss out on all of it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at on that. Like so that could work, I guess, if you're on the front end too. But I think that hit you almost take from you know that the one two turn area. Yeah. I really want that one two turn area. So Yeah. I I I think for me it's like fifteen and fourteen and thirteen not so much, but fifteen and fourteen are, are all the, the top spots for me. Uh, well, I guess I just put it out there, but who cares? I but put, like, I put, I put out many times. No, no one remembers. <laughs> but but like, I kind of, if if I'm thinking from the start of the draft, I kind of like four because you're going to get one of the top three to four hitters or one of the top pitchers, your choice of the pitchers. And that's one thing I, when I usually set my KDS, I talked all about the back that I love, but what I'll yeah. do is I do four, three, two, one. Just yeah. like you said. And then I go 15, 14, 13, 12, all the way to five. Right. That's that's where that's I'm good. at ADS. So it's because I love the idea. If I get one of the top four, I get mm-hmm. a Cole or a Grom, Or if I want to take a stud pit uh, hitter, Soto, Acuna, Tatis, whoever you want. Like they're all there. Right. right. So that's awesome. And you can ob- you're obviously going to get two good picks on the way back. So as much as we talked about the back end being great, you're still getting two studs on the way back. Right. That's just right. the way it's good. But – Man, it's like you look at the back end, you can go get like a Giolito and this, or get, and it just feels so much nicer. <laughs> just, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm so comfortable with like Bryce Harper and Lucas yep. Giolito as my first two picks. Yep. It's a I'm beautiful feeling pick. really good. And, and I could then, if I wanted to go crazy, I could pound pitching again at like 45, 46 if I'm at 15, you know? And I can go get two more really good starters there because you're still dealing with the Maedas or Glass Nows or 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 Sunny Grays, and you're like, oh, I can go get a second pitcher now. Well, and that's the other thing. So if you're in the front end and say you don't take Cole or DeGrom, right? You're almost forced to take two on your next pick because that fourth one is not going to be as good, right? Right. But if you're in the back end, you can go pitcher hitter, and you know more often than not your third round or fourth round, you should have at least a decent pitcher, like you just said. Right. So there's, there's more strategy to it there. So it's almost like if you took a hitter with one of the top picks, you're almost forced to take two pitchers now, which yeah. really takes you out of the mix, which I hate being forced to take a situation there. So it's yeah. Cause there's a lot of guys around that, uh, that's a two, three turn where you're like, Oh man, I'd love to go t- Kyle Tucker, get that speed power combo. My, I, maybe I'll, maybe I'm into a, a Loy here. But no, yeah. I need pitching here because as I had uh, you know, the third pick. Now it's like, okay, who am I going with? Woodruff just went, Castillo just went. Am I going with Kershaw now? I don't know. You yeah. Know? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like Kershaw is a two, maybe as a one. Ugh, I, I can't stomach that yet. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. So yeah, that's what's fun about this chatting about this, and people need to do some mocks of their own or some uh you know, best balls in SBC fifties, whatever works for you to just get a feel of the player pool and see kind of what's going on. Cause it gets interesting. It's very interesting, but uh, art, it's going to wrap us up. My friend, it's been a fun, fun night. Um, plug away everything you got going on where they can find you all that good stuff. I'm on Twitter at art underscore T underscore Z. Uh, I'm all uh, every week, Saturday mornings. We're putting out uh triple play fantasies baseball show. That's going to be in your Apple podcast apps. Once you hit subscribe, um, I'm like I said, I'm writing for SP Streamer, and uh, 
you know, hit me up on Twitter, any questions, uh, and uh, check out my articles. Yeah, Art's a really good guy, like I said at the beginning, so don't be afraid to hit him up. And you guys should be following him if you aren't already. Again, at Art underscore T underscore Z. Art, always, always a pleasure chatting with you. It's fun to be on this side of it with you. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 343 with Art Tornabini from Triple Play Fantasy. Catch you guys later. Yeah.